Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CP Pod. On today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome my friend Mayumi Lashbrook. She is a professional dancer, choreographer, and most prominently, the social media manager and co artistic director of Eris Corper Contemporary Dance. She has performed with the company on many occasions, choreographed Three, Parting Ways, and Of Ink, co choreographed Parentheses and Opening and Revel, and co produced three of the company's full length shows Variations of Silence, presented by the Burlington Performing Arts Center, Re Variations, part of the Dance Works co work series, and Vivid Voyage at the Burlington Student Theatre. Mayumi is an accomplished dance artist, choreographer, teacher, arts administrator, and artistic director. She performs as a way to find connection, commonality, and vulnerability in others. I've had the chance to work with her on a handful of projects, and her mere presence inspires. In movement, as much as in immobile silence, capturing her on film or in photographs is a privilege. And today, well, it's her thoughts I capture for this episode, for your benefit. And so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mayumi Lashbrook. All right, should we do this? We shall. Okay. Here we go. How are you? I'm good. Um, I had definitely a harder day yesterday, um, such as life with COVID. I feel like it's up and down and some days anxiety is high and some days it's chill and it's all good. And today it feels chill and all good. I, I've tried really hard to start my day with movement because I find that those are usually my most successful days. Um, so today I did a two hour class and I feel warm and my senses are turned on and my skin's alive and I feel ready for the day. So pretty good today. I count this as a good day. <laughs> I feel like given what's happening, we should maybe just omit the present for a little while because I think we'll have a better time talking about other things that don't involve current situation. Totally hear that. <laughs> Do you want me to redo? No, let's go back okay. to the very, very beginning then what are your first memories of dancing hmm I remember taking dance classes from a very young age uh, my older sister she had started dance classes and I absolutely needed to do them because she was doing them so I begged my parents to start me as soon as possible and they eventually gave in and I think I must have been three or four because I'm also a, a late birthday. Um, so I remember just absolutely delighting in free dance, which is essentially improvisation. And our teacher would always allow us to get in this mindset of being in a field of flowers and picking up the flowers. And I adore that I would skip around the room picking up flowers putting them in my basket um, and that was just the most delightful movement possible for me and then more and more memories spring up from there being in that same studio and learning from the different friends that were there learning from different teachers there was definitely a lot of tears that come up because I think dance is so much about discipline it's about breaking habits that some of the, the early memories I have beyond that come up from places of learning to be in the structure that's provided. So finding whatever the discipline that they're teaching you, finding how to fit into that. Um, and I found dance is, is so structured too that matching that was really challenging. And it wasn't until I became more of an adult that I understood that those are guidelines and that there's more room for 
authenticity to who you are and uniqueness within that. And it's all about drumming into the technique first and then allowing yourself to flourish past that. So, yeah. So did you do dance all the way through sort of elementary school and high school? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I danced from that point right up until now. There hasn't been a real break in my training. There was sort of periods that I fall in and out of love with dance and I do less of it or I do more of it. Uh, but I have continued ever since day one of being three, four years old and skipping around. Um, I think training with your body is so important. Like you need the strength and physicality. So it is important to continue that. Um, like any craft, it takes practice and time to really know what you need to do in it. So yeah, I've continued since. I remember there was a specific day that I decided I didn't want to dance. I was probably about 12 and I was so sick of it, partially because I wanted my social life with my friends. And I went to my mom and I was like, I cannot do this. It was mid school year as well. And I was like, I really don't want to sign up again for dance next year. And she was like, you know what? Finish out the year. You're not allowed to quit this year, but finish out the year. And if at the end of it, you still feel this strongly, you can quit and that's fine. I won't ask questions. And at the end of the year, I was like, nope, sign me up for more. So I think again, it's sort of that cycle of falling in and out of love with your craft. And my mom was really, she, she could see that, which was really helpful in, in keeping me going and allowing me space and opportunity to discover that for myself, that it was a joy that I have and wanted to continue. And when did you decide to pursue dance as a career? Hmm. I decided in my last year of high school, I'd never taken it seriously or professionally uh, up until that point. In my final year in grade 12, as we're sending out applications to different universities and whatnot, trying to decide where we want to go, I had applied to a couple different general arts programs just as a way to get started in university. And during that application process, two things happened. One, one of the dance teachers at my school had her own professional company, and she asked me to come and work with them. She hired me for a small project. I was an apprentice with them. And that boost in confidence really allowed me to be like, maybe this is something I can do. And then the other thing that happened is I had a class with Peggy Baker. She came into our school and she really talked about the fact that as much as dance is very structured and there are specific lines that you want to hit, there is so much variety outside of that. And I'd never seen dance that way. I definitely saw, I have to get a pirouette. I have to get my leg in the air. I have to balance. And if I can't do those things, then I'm not a dancer and I should stop. And her availability of the possibilities outside of that awoke me up to the thought that maybe there is a place for me in the dance world. And hearing that even now gives me like shivers and chills. Like it's making me very emotional to think about that, um, that moment with her. And it, it was small, it wasn't long. It was a couple minutes of her class that she spoke about that, but it, it made all the difference for me in wanting to pursue dance in a larger way. And I actually get to work with her this year. So it's, comes full circle. It, it feels so amazing to be able to work with someone who had such an impact on my dance career at a really pivotal moment and then revisit working with her as a professional. So yeah, those were the two major moments that I knew I wanted to be professional in some, some fashion and led me to where I am now. You ended up studying at Ryerson in the performance dance program and you have obviously, as dancers do, trained in a lot of other programs and with companies and done a lot of classes. Can you speak about your journey and how you've grown as a dancer through all of these experiences? Maybe highlight some that were particularly formative for you. I think Ryerson stands out as a chapter of my career. It was single-handedly the hardest part 
of my professional life, I would say. It was very much about breaking habits and finding new pathways and really challenging how much we wanted to be in dance. And that really forced me to, to have a hard look at how hard it was going to be once I got out. And um, I wouldn't change what I did. I think it was the right program for me. It was uh, super necessary in my career path, but it was definitely the hardest, the most tears, the most heartache, um, the most times that I wanted to give up. And What was the hardest part about it? that the instructors were so hard on us. They would see things about us and, and be really brutally honest about it. And I remember there was a day I did it across the floor and Vicky St. Denise stood at the end of the floor and, and she, I basically danced straight up to her and she went, great, these are the things you need to work on. And I instantly bawled. <laughs> and I think for most of us at Ryerson, we had a moment with an instructor like that. She, in fact, could see where I was holding back and she wasn't willing to let me sit back and, and ignore those things. And she called me out on them. And I think it was just a continual process of calling out of your insecurities of what's holding you back and really questioning if that's where you want to be. We had, I think, something like 30 people start in the program, maybe 35. And we ended up with just over 20, 21, 22 by the end of it. And I think that's really normal for a lot of programs. But for something that's so small, it was... It was really heartbreaking to see a lot of our colleagues leave and and have teachers really be harsh on them and they broke and, and didn't stay with it. So um, I think their methodology is hard. <laughs> it's definitely part of the dance world and the strictness, the technique, the discipline that comes with being in the dance industry. But I don't know that it's always... I think it was necessary for me in my pathway, but I don't know if that's always the right thing for people. And I think in what I create now, I definitely offer a more gentle approach. I think it's important to open up those things that we're blind to. And I think ultimately that's what the instructors were doing. But I think that there is a gentler approach that can allow the same expansion. And that's something I'm really interested in creating now through my work. There's definitely a change in education in general. And even if we look at how people are approaching well-being and things mm -hmm. like meditation and yoga and just an idea of being kinder to oneself, it's, it's a tough balance, I assume, though, teaching dance and how to be a professional dancer because there's also an element of resiliency that you need, need to, to build as well. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. We are at, in Eris Corpor and the company, we always talk about how do you be excellent? How do you find a balance between excellence and room for who you are and the mistakes and flaws of your body and your being? That those two things, how do they survive together? I have a similar thing sometimes when I'm shooting with other colleagues and they'll show me footage and I'll ask them, is it good? And then mm. they'll give me an answer. And then the next question is, is it world-class? And it's a very frustrating mm. question, I think, to be asked because if they can't answer yes, sometimes I have them reshoot it, even if it's good, right? And it's a it's a tough thing to assess, I'm sure, as well, when you choreograph and when, when you're trying to create new work. It's like, when is it good enough and how where do you find that balance of i'm happy with the work versus i need to push just a little bit harder mm -hmm. to where it's uncomfortable i find that i've actually had to spend a lot of time accepting the process as the best part and right now the the background of my computer says i'm always in process because I think if I spend too much energy focusing on the outcome and the excellence of the outcome, that I stop myself from even producing. And I'm finding new and exciting pathways in the process itself over the end product. And I think in doing that, that allows me the opportunity to find excellence in, in the process I don't know if I'm explaining it no, super I, clearly. I, I understand. 
But part of that for me ends up looking like I record myself or I record what it is that I'm creating and really try to watch those videos to understand what it is that I'm trying to portray, understand how it's coming across, understand the, the flaws in it that I want to elaborate on or work on. And that process brings me to excellence and I have to trust in that versus if I've put the piece on stage and questioning it in that moment doesn't work for me. It's more about the steps leading up to it to find excellence. And process is a large part of defining what constitutes art, right? Like if you think of the the Marcel Duchamp urinal or, you know, the Abramovich listening uh, performances. I mean, I mean, a lot of it is about what have you put in in the process and how does this fit into a bigger reflection? So I can definitely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I actually am very obsessed with visual art specifically because of that process. I find it really elaborates on what I'm trying to do through dance. There's a parallel to visual art and dance that I find really, really intriguing. And so I do a lot of studying visual art and the process behind it and questioning what happens through that to apply it to what's parallel in dance. I find that both of the, the processes uh, have a, a meshing, an understanding of, of how we create work and how we get to the visual end product that I find really helps me understand what I'm trying to do. It's looking at an artist's intent, right? I mean, I think the ones that are good art, the artist's intent or the statement says something about the work that they're doing. Sometimes it can be a little bit bullshitty, right? But if you actually take it as part of your process and you're 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 being reflective in how you're building the work, I think that it's super valuable to to prioritize almost process over product sometimes. Right? I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. Any particular influences that you feel as you were developing your craft that were important to you beyond Peggy Baker and the stuff at Ryerson? Mm-hmm. I would have to give Lisa Emmons a massive shout out. She has been my mentor and a really close friend through the whole process. We started working together back in 2014 and she has been so generous in her energy and the various parts of, of my career, um, because it's not that she's just helping with dance, she's helping with grant writing, she's hap- helping with teaching. She really has helped and assisted through a wide spectrum of my training as an artist, as a person. So I'm incredibly grateful. I was having a conversation recently with a friend about mentorship and and how important it is. And I didn't walk around trying to find a mentor, but I definitely feel that I've landed that, that I'm incredibly humbled by the fact that I have the opportunity to learn from her. Um, And it it goes both ways. Like we definitely have a wonderful relationship that we, we help each other. Uh, but she has definitely been the largest contributor to my professional life since Ryerson. And I think with Lisa, there's a balance of some of what we were talking before about kindness, but also working with you two, she does hold herself and others accountable to a certain standard. And, you know, she'll take care of what needs to be taken care of, I think. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. She she has such a great way of seeing what it is that you need, and she only presents it to you when she feels you're ready for it. So I often found that with my training at Ryerson, that those groundbreaking aha moments that would come were in moments when you weren't ready for it or you weren't available and listening to the possibility for change and it just kind of slapped you across the face which I think made it so difficult whereas I find Lisa is really good at reading the moment reading where you're at I recently had a breakdown actually and and she knew before it was happening and she waited until I had the breakdown and then she said I've been noticing this and let's talk about it 
and her ability to really read those moments and allow me to flourish within it to figure it out a little bit on my own and then offer insight has been really impactful in creating the ability for myself as well as opening me up to larger possibilities and larger expansion for who I am. We could talk about Lisa for a while, I feel, on this podcast, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know, isn't this supposed to be about me? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Lisa, you are appreciated. I feel like I have to (laughs) to move on, but... um, um, Currently, as a dancer, what are some of the main thoughts, ideas, emotions that you're trying to express? What are you preoccupied with at the moment Mm. with your artistic practice? I definitely do a lot of thinking about this because sort of like what we talked about with process, I'm a big believer that dance on its own is not enough. It is about what are you trying to feel? What are you trying to say? And if you can't tap that emotion for yourself, then you're not going to be able to ignite that emotion in another person. So... I've spent a lot of time trying to understand what it is that I need to say. And honestly, the best way I've, I've figured it out is through grant writing because it's so direct about they need to know or they won't give you the money. <laughs> like they, the, the questions are very much geared towards discovering what it is that you're trying to say so that they know, that juries know whether or not to fund your projects. And through my discoveries about myself and what I did is that I'm trying to say, there's a couple key things that have come up. Um, Firstly, that I am, everything I do with dance is about discovering beauty in the mundane. That my goals are to share with the world how beautiful every single possibility is. Every single moment, every single thing around us has beauty in it and I'm interested in uncovering those slices of beauty and I think the reason that I'm so interested in that is because every moment that we have on this earth is so precious and finding the beauty in that allows us to cherish those moments and live more present, more fulfilled, more engaged by seeing that beauty and feeling it. And there's a third part that I'm gapping on that I was going to say, but that's okay. (laughs) I hear what you're saying, but it feels like we're still talking about process. I'd love to hear about ideas or themes you're trying to tackle more specifically. There's a couple things. At the moment... One of the strongest urges I have in creation is to look at my grandfather's trauma and pain. He's a Japanese man living in Canada. He went through the war here and he experienced just absolutely traumatic alienation that I believe haunts him to this day. And... I'm really fascinated by the emotions he still carries from that and how theoretically he could have released them through movement, through his body. I believe that the body holds trauma. Right now I'm very fascinated with accessing what he's gone through in my own body as a way to release it for him. I recently discovered that he... Uh, he's, he's been taking high blood pressure um, medication for years, probably 30 years. And his mistrust with authority has actually led to the discovery that he doesn't have high blood pressure. He's been in doctor's offices and every time the doctor's with him, he's anxious. So his, his blood pressure reading is high. And for the first time, the doctor left the room and came back and realized that his blood test is actually quite low. So... Seeing that 
even at his age of 88, that that is still present in his life just brings me to tears and makes me want to help him in one way that I know I can, which is to create work about the trauma that the body holds and enliven the story of what happened through alienation in hopes of releasing that pain and, and finding a way to, to have a better, brighter future. That by expressing that for myself, I feel that others will also feel the same kind of excitement and release to live a, a, a better life with better understanding for one another. Stop things, a, the, the smallest tiny bit of a little bit less racism in the world, a little bit less hate, a little bit less misunderstanding. And whatever I can do through my art to allow that release is my ultimate goal. I'm wondering what shape has that been taking you exploring these things with your grandfather? Is it, you know, things that you've heard and you're putting in your work? Is it discussions that you're having together? Is it you trying to get him to move in some ways? Like what, how are you, how are you looking at that? Yeah, I've actually just applied to start working on it uh, through a grant through the Canada Arts Council and the Ontario Arts Council. I won't know about those until the fall, but I have been investigating my own solo work on, on this topic. While I was in residency in January, I began really trying to piece those things together. I talked a lot about it with the artists that were there in residency to understand their perspectives on it and suggestions that they may have And one of them actually talked about creating a sound score of, of the experience he would have gone through in the doctor's office. And I love that idea. And that is something I want to bring into the piece in future. So I don't have full answers yet, but it is something I investigate. I have investigated during my residency and will continue to work on as funding permits. I want to shift gears just a little bit for the sake of moving on in the interview. Obviously, you do choreographed work, but I know from talking about your craft with you that improvisation is something that you feel very strongly about. What does it feel like to improvise for you? Improvising is <laughs> the like super hippie answer to that is improvising is like the highest moment of my being. <laughs> But I would say the more grounded version of that is improvising feels like every single cell of my body is on that it takes a specific listening of myself to the moment that I feel the most alive. I was talking about this recently with my dad that we as humans don't often have the opportunity to listen to each other really deeply and truly. And it's so easy to skip over listening to someone else because of what's going on inside of you. So improvising for me is a, space, a, a time in space where all I can do is listen to everyone else at the highest heightened response possible and then meet them in that moment to offer what I need to say back. That it is the most equal cellular meeting of listening, seeing, and hearing each other. Oh, it brings me to tears to think about that. <laughs> it really does feel like the most magical, higher power moment possible. What about when you're performing that idea that perhaps with being an artist, it's not so much about what you're saying or doing or what, a, but more about 
the things that are inside that need to be expressed, that there's something inevitable about going through that process of self-expression. I think there's a sense that each person is called to do a specific thing during their time here on earth. And I feel so called to express myself through movement that I dance because I can't avoid it. I dance because there are things that I need to say and that's the best way that I can express them. That each moment that we live is instantaneous and it has an expiry date. It doesn't last long. And in those moments that I'm dancing, I am delighting in that specific slice of time in the best way that I know how. I'm curious when you're improvising, not for camera, but in the performance context, what do you see and how much are you aware of the audience? Obviously it changes from piece to piece and some of it is participatory, but where, where are you in your mind when you're performing and people are, are watching? How does that part feel as a performer? I feel very drawn to improvise in a way that connects with the audience. I'm more interested in work that we see each other as equals than I'm the performer and this is the audience. So the work that I create and, and the work that I feel the most alive in through Ares Corpor usually is the kind of work where as I'm moving, I'm making choices based on what someone is offering me, that I'm deciding to connect with somebody because I can feel their energy of they're excited to connect with me. So most of what I'm doing while I'm improvising and trying to connect with audience is I'm actually talking to them in my head. And one of the pieces that I, I've performed many times, my, my favorite piece of the company's repertoire to perform. It's called Parentheses. There's a moment that I actually physically come up to audience and I connect to their chest. I put my hand on their, on their sternum and I put, and I take their hand and place it on mine. And in that moment, whatever comes up for me in that person is what I say to them. So there was a woman that I very distinctly remembering putting my hand on her chest and just feeling like what I needed to say to her was like, everything is going to be okay. And when we connected after, she let me know that she's in a place that she was battling cancer and she's quite sick and, and really didn't know how to continue. And the irony and, and sort of the moment of what I felt she was holding on to and what she needed to hear, I repeated in my head and, and it felt like that connection was true and honest to what she did need. So I think, again, coming down to that cellular level that we are all the same and improvising allows me to access a place where I can really see and hear somebody and what they need and reciprocate in some fashion. It's tough to find moments of truth and I think that some of the beauty of going to performing arts events is creating that space for yourself as an audience member as someone that's maybe not a practitioner to to receive some of it and like to be in that energy I you know I find that beautiful and I think that's why it's great to talk about artists and how they feel on the other end of that because it's a different experimentation right it's it's a little bit deep to, to try and go there it's hard to go there mm -hmm. absolutely and 
interestingly enough, like when I do that connection with people, I can feel the people who aren't ready for it. I remember placing my hand on someone's chest and it was like a brick wall and they just did not want to let me in. And that's okay. I think everyone's participation and their ability to connect is, is different. It feels different. It looks different. And what I'm interested in is the smallest minute shift for each person. And whether that's like moving a brick wall or moving someone who's more, more open to it already. And I accept all variations and, and meet people where, where they're at and allow them to be as open as they feel ready to be. Because it also shifts day to day that sometimes I'm more open to connecting with someone and sometimes I'm not, and that's okay too. So really matching where an audience member is at. It's interesting, we talked about, like because we've had other performers do inter audience interaction, we've had to coach them through how you sense if somebody wants to interact with you or not. And it's something that came so naturally inherently to me as a performer that I just could tell. I, I knew when somebody would like me to interact with them or not. And trying to coach someone else and knowing those signals was interesting to have to articulate it in words versus just in sight. Because I think I rely so much on my cells saying to me through my sight that this person is ready for it. And so having to articulate it through words for someone else who's going to go do the same thing was really challenging. And I don't know if I was completely successful at it, but it was, it was really reflective of the work that I'm doing to be able to get myself there. I was actually having in the last episode a conversation about something similar with Sterling. It's the idea of going to an artistic event and not everybody being in the same place as far as they how they want to engage with the experience. So I think for you, everything that you're saying about, you know, essentially respect and sharing energy, and I'm sure to some degree consent, right? Because not everybody wants to interact. I think that all rings true across a variety of performing arts. It's it's interesting to think about for sure. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's funny because even as a performer, I've gone to shows where they've asked for audience interaction and I don't want to interact. So I know what it feels like to both want to engage and not. And the fear that comes up. I think it's so important, like you talked about with consent, that it is, it is really important to read if someone is giving you the visual cues of consent. There are opportunities that we've also asked for verbal consent, like come with me and they will come with you or not. Um, but it strikes me in how much as an audience member, you want to do the right thing. You want to follow the rules. And therefore as the performer, it's up to me to show you and give you permission to go in the places that I'd like to go. In, in the performance. And I mean, as a performer, I don't want there to be that determination. I don't, I don't want to have to give permission. I want there to be complete freedom, but I also recognize that I have to give some leeway. I have to give some cues of this is where we're going and do you want to come along? I think giving, giving that allows someone to feel like they're, they are doing it right and then they become more relaxed and make choices on their own. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about the company that you're a key part of, but I briefly want to touch on some of the other work that you do because I think it's important to just mention it in passing. You've worked on quite a few photography projects and music videos, um, you know, with Jesse Reyes, Bezad Leto, Citizen Fame. What is it like for you as a dance artist to come in to these various contexts and bring your craft with that of image makers and musicians in such a wide variety of projects? What, what is that like for you? It's been really rewarding. I 
feel like in some ways I fell into working in photography and videography that there's definitely a fascination with how movement translates in both those mediums and so I was approached most of the time actually for people to to want to film me to want to photograph me and and then I became very fascinated in return with how the lens sees and perceives movement how it gives focus and intimacy to specific moments with dance there are so many things to focus on with the body that having the lens direct your eye to what you should be feeling and where you should be looking has been really interesting and i quite enjoy how film translates dance and i think for those that maybe don't know dance as well it's a really great way to begin to understand it and learn the language of movement i was really fortunate on on all of those projects that I had very open collaborative teams. I've been very fortunate that the films that I've worked on at this point have been with very collaborative and open teams that they were interested in allowing room for me to bring my suggestions in. And that doesn't mean that anything I would suggest or offer would make it into the final cut, but that it always felt like a warm atmosphere where I could suggest something and feel heard and seen. So I was very fortunate in, in everything I've worked on so far. Uh, Citizen Fame was a particularly great one because they brought me on originally as a choreographer and dancer. And I just felt that having someone else choreograph would allow the piece to expand and also the, the process would be faster and they quickly agreed and were excited about it. So I felt really empowered to bring what I wanted to as a dancer and the choreographer was Lisa and she was able to really bring what she felt was the right movement to it as well. So that was a particularly great collaborative energy. They were all really amazing to work on, but that one felt like it was more in tune with what the company uh, is aiming for. I definitely, through being on a lot of different film sets and understanding the backside of it, I've become really fascinated on how I can make contributions to that. And I've done a lot more filming at home and a little bit of editing here and there. By no means am I an expert or nor am I interested in doing it professionally, but I'm enjoying being able to craft how my work is seen through a lens. And it's been really rewarding to, to see how someone else does that on a film set and bring that into my own work. And now your core present occupation, Eris Corper. Tell me about this project. How did it come about and what do you do? Eris Corper is a company that I've been part of since 2014. It's founded by Lisa Emmons and we work to create contemporary dance and community platforms for which dance can flourish. We work collaboratively, so there's four of us in the main team, Lisa Emmons, myself, Michaela Demers, and Catherine Caddick. And we mainly actually work in Hamilton and Burlington. There is a completely different art scene there, and most of the artists are from there. I'm from Toronto, but the availability in Hamilton specifically for the arts has been very rewarding and accessible. So it's been wonderful to help flourish, help create more structure in the budding art scene there. And in many ways, I feel less burdened by the structures of the already established artistic structures in Toronto and organizations. And in, in many ways, it feels a little bit like a rebellion that we're able to just make what we want, 
happen and have an audience who's really excited and attentive to what it is that we're creating. So we do work mainly out of Hamilton, Burlington, and then also Toronto. So all three cities. And I think that availability and that transient life of what we've created as a company really opens up a wider net for our community and a wider net for our knowledge as a company. Can you tell me about some of the projects that are dearest to you in your work with the company? Mm-hmm. Oh, that has to be prospects for sure. I think it encompasses everything that we want to do and provide to the community as a company. There's many other projects that we do outside of that. Performances, me as an artist, that is my favorite thing to do. But as a contributor to our community, that is the core of who we are. Prospects is a work in progress showing that runs three times a year and choreographers apply to, to present their work. And it is very much an open discussion that allows for there to be dialogue from the artists and the audience in a way that cultivates connection, cultivates a deeper understanding for dance, and allows for artistic exchange, both for those who are practicing artists and those who aren't. We allow the night to be very casual. There's usually four or five pieces that are presented and in between each, we do a talk back where audience asks about the work and the choreographers can ask the audience for what they, they may have specific questions on as well. And that exchange is really integral and happened really organically as well. It's allowed us to delight in the dance availabilities that there are in Ontario. We've had artists that we've presented from across Ontario. And it also allows us to educate and ignite the passion for dance in our audiences. So the dual purpose of it is really particularly exciting and our, like everyone who's presented in it has had a really positive experience. We ask for feedback at the end of it so we do connect with choreographers and understand what their experience is through prospects and every time it's been a glowing review they, they absolutely adore being able to show their work in progress as well as connect with audience. I think so often we as dancers have the availability to showcase a finished product, but the steps along the way to get there are incredibly important. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to share and, and look at what those are. Many of the artists that we think of the larger names have had opportunities to do that. And so Prospects is a way for us to provide that platform for our colleagues and peers. I wanna ask you one last one. You have, as of late, both as an individual and as a company, began seeking and obtaining grants. To me, that's a big thing. I think we're blessed to live in a country in which the arts are valued, not always, but most of the time. It's tough sometimes to articulate the public value of artistic endeavors such as yours. But I think especially right now, as we remain in isolation, it's a great case study on how you and me and other artists can uniquely articulate how the world feels. Now that you've been actively participating in publicly funded arts, what do you think is the importance of having those programs and those opportunities to share on a broader level and also to engage in conversation with our governing bodies around self-expression through the arts? I think of businesses that are able to quantify exactly what they get back when they invest in something. And the arts doesn't have that ability in many ways that what we provide is felt versus monetarily shown. So to be available to granting bodies and 
professional rates for artists really gives me a sense of empowerment to offer the same back for, for my peers that by engaging in these standards, I feel called to continue those standards for everyone else around me. And that means not asking someone to work for me for free and finding rates that people are comfortable with. That doesn't always mean that I'm able to offer full professional rates, not at all, but to value someone else's art, I'm able to do that. And that means that I'm able to contribute to a positive work culture for dance. I think just like culture is created for larger businesses, culture is created in artists' work. And I wanna be someone who contributes to that culture in a positive manner and pushes the need for professional rates and professional standards. So really having that availability just gives me more drive to continue that and to give back to the people around me. Actually, when I, I just received my first individual grant, the first thing I wanted to do was to donate to the teachers that have been I've been taking class with and to donate to the layer arts people who didn't get funding. So I, I messaged them in a group message and said, if anyone has projects they're doing or classes they're teaching, please let me know and I will take them and donate. Because I think I want, I want to give back to the community. I don't want it to just be about me and my art because I don't think that that's enough for me. It doesn't feel fulfilling. What's fulfilling is to be able to give to someone else. I think our city specifically, Toronto and you know, largely the cities that you're practicing in now, Hamilton, Burlington, the arts is such a big part of the identity of the places where we live. You take Toronto and you take out the music and you take out the film and you take out the theater and dance and it becomes a much less interesting place to to live for everybody. I think it's to me it's just great seeing people that have a practice get the grants and attach actual real value into what you're saying, pay people that make our cities what they are. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. If we were to think about just even going for a walk right now and the things that you would come up upon that have been designed by an artist, your city wouldn't look the same. Just something as simple as a walk. Or if you're going into a restaurant, like those are designed by artists. Those visuals that you see on a daily basis that bring you joy, it, it's from that. So to be able to continue that means that I have to, I, I want to give back to those artists and continue that culture. Yeah, let's, let's fucking pay everybody. recently had a chance to expand your horizons with the Lear Arts Residency program in Paris. What was the program and what were you able to experience and learn while away? It's actually very indescribable. Even going, I felt not 100% sure what I was getting into. And because it, it spanned so much it was really hard to wrap my head around everything that I would get out of it and what all the details of the program was it was a three-week residency in Paris France with there were 12 core artists but then there was about seven cultural professionals as well so the 12 core artists were multidisciplinary and international And we spent those full three weeks learning from each other, taking workshops, socializing, going to shows, going to art galleries, going to atelier spaces, which are a place where an artist will both live and work. 
And we spent every single second together for those three weeks trying to absorb each other's inspiration and craft and understand each other. Ultimately, the program was based around what happened in Paris in the 1920s. And so revisiting that energy 100 years later was the, the, the goal. We were there to exchange. At the very core of it, that's what we were there to do, artistic exchange. And there weren't any parameters on having a finished product at the end. We had the opportunity to present work, but there was no uh, real goal of that. Often residencies, you are supposed to walk away with a finished product. And the finished product for us was the opportunity to exchange your ideas. So to fat, like to actually understand and fathom what that is, it, it, it's not a concrete item. So it was really hard to understand going in and even coming out when I got home, everyone asking me like, what did you learn? I was like, do you have four hours to sit and talk about it? Because there's so much. I took notes every single second I could and I still go back and reference those notes and it had such an impact on absolutely everything in my life. I am so grateful to have gone and I feel like I'm rambling now because I was just so excited about it. <laughs> Do you have other parts of the question that I haven't answered yet? Because I feel like I've just spewed. <laughs> it feels like you've created an opportunity to be part of a network through it when I see you posting about it and reflecting on it. I mean, that's an important part, I think, of being a practicing artist is to have people to dialogue with. What did you take away in terms of working with others and maybe continuing that collaboration over time? Yeah, there's a couple projects that have come up right away that I'm able to do internationally. And I definitely rely on the artists. We shoot each other notes every once in a while. At this point, it's actually, I believe, daily that I'm in contact with somebody from the residency. We are going to be having a full online um, reunion this weekend. So those connections have definitely been invaluable. The support that I feel from those artists and what I give back as well is is really powerful. I found that walking into the space, all of us came in with a lack of ego, that it was way more about building each other up and listening to each other. And I have to give the head, her name's Mila. She did such a great job of bringing people together that were there to share. I think it's really easy to come in with this idea of what's going to happen and everyone was so open to allowing the moments to flourish as they needed to. Um, so yeah, I think the right chemistry of people was really key and I have friendships that I believe are going to last me a lifetime and they enrich me in ways that I couldn't have known were going to happen. I think traveling with someone, period, allows you to really understand them. And traveling with someone who understands you artistically and where you want to be in your career is that much more powerful. And I think for me, going to deep places is actually something that I'm, I'm gifted to be able to do. And that's where I want to sit. That's where I want to be. And... Actually, going to Lair Arts, experiencing the residency, gave me such permission to accept that and let it, let it be seen. So I would say one of the biggest changes that I've had since Lair is this ability to, to sit in the deep dark and be okay with it and be excited to share that. There's like a sense that before that point, I was dragging people into it with me unwillingly. And recently it feels that I access it without apology. And I also access it when I feel that the other person's more ready to do it with me. One of the things, <laughs> one of the things that came out of Lair for all of the artists was 
the 24-hour festival. This is run by one of the artists, Fiona, of Blue Goat Theatre. And she created a platform where three artists come together. In my case, the one that I just did, it was a dancer, a musician, and a spoken word artist. And the three of us had 24 hours to create a five-minute visual piece, so a film. And we'd never met each other. In each group, there was a lair artist. So when we all sat down to actually watch everyone's pieces, we were messaging each other back and forth. The format of this show really allowed for each of us to explore something new and different and support each other in the ways that we were when we were in Paris together. So it was a nice way to reunite. So that's one of the things that have specifically come out of Lair and the experiences we had there. And then another piece is that I, with a couple other artists, applied to the Reading Fringe and have recently just gotten word that we, we got the application and the grant money for it. So we will be continuing a piece that we started in Paris together called Love, Sex and Zombies. And that piece will now have a life past Blair Arts that we will be presenting it online as part of the Reading Fringe. Uh, this summer. So there really have been massive ripple effects already only a couple months later from from Lair. And I know that those are the larger tangible ripple effects, but there are so many other small minute ones that I can't even put my finger on that I know I've experienced, but every single artist that was there has also experienced. As we move toward the end of the episode, I did want to ask you, hopefully prematurely, given how young we both are, about mm. conclusions. When you think about your future in the profession that relies on your body and with the inevitability of aging, what are you hoping to do as you move deeper into your career as a dancer? I, I have actually recently read Twyla Tharp's book on this topic, and I am so inspired by the way she talks about it. I believe that I've pledged my life to dance, and no matter what, I am continu continuing that pledge. I feel so strongly that that is my path and I will find the way to continue that regardless of where my body is. One of the things that I learned from one of the artists at Lair is that dance is actually fighting atrophy. So in many ways I believe that the superpower of allowing myself to continue to dance will slow that process and allow me more opportunity to continue in my body past when I think many dancers have stopped. I want to pledge myself to the arts in a way that fuels my goals regardless of whether I am physically moving or not. And that looks like choreographing, that looks like teaching, that also looks like arts administration and creating the structures and support in organizations to allow dancers to continue their work. So I not only am interested in the physicality of dancing, I'm interested in the structures to allow people to continue to dance. And I know for a fact that until the day I die, I will continue to do what I can to support that opportunity. I've also done work and research about different abilities and how bodies can still move regardless of limitations or disabilities. And I believe in that same fashion that I will continue to move because all of those options are available to me at all times. I could lose the use of certain body parts or extremities and I will still find a way to move. With the way I teach right now, I'm interested in allowing people to move in their bodies as they feel 
available too. I have full range and ability, but there are still some days where I just don't want to move my spine or I don't want to lift my leg. And so taking classes and teaching classes that allow for those possibilities as you, your body shifts day to day is something I'm really interested in, in providing and also taking. So I believe that through that, I will continue to move in the ways that I need to move until the day I die. Lastly, I want to ask you, as I do with everyone, what's one thing, and it could be anything, that you're excited about right now? I'm excited to think about people flooding to a theater space, to be together, to watch art, to delight in their senses coming alive. I have this image of just people literally running <laughs> to the theater and like sitting down in a seat and just being so excited to be there and to witness visuals, excitement and joy and all the emotions that come from witnessing a beautiful piece of art. And I'm so, so excited for the moment that that happens. I will say the Toronto International Film Festival, I don't think has been officially postponed yet. So in the same way, I'm very much looking forward to getting back in a room with fellow lovers of art and experiencing things mm. together in a physical way. So I think mm -hmm. we're looking forward to some of the some of the same things for sure. Absolutely. Mayumi, thank you for your time and for sharing your process and for being vulnerable in talking about dance and considering your past and future work. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I feel like I've made discoveries in myself and having to articulate what it is that I do and that I love about dance. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the CP pod today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share with friends, subscribe, or follow wherever you listen to podcasts and consider leaving a review. I look forward to connecting with you soon. In the meantime, take care and be well. Mm -hmm.